0: FM talk.
1: It is indeed and uh, it's uh, our Shop Stewards Corner. We bring it to you every Monday taking a look at some of the biggest issues in our labour market and uh, key developments on the shop floor and today is certainly no different. Today we're going to uh, speak to the One Wage Campaign. Now they're a coalition of workers' rights organisations, union, civil society organisations and uh, uh, also... Uh, I guess, progressive uh, litigation organizations like the Lawyers for Human Rights, uh, which uh, has uh, formally launched a legal submission to the National Minimum Wage Commission uh, arguing against the exclusion of domestic, farm and uh, public employment workers uh, organized under the EPWP and the CWP from the National Minimum Wage. Now, uh, the National Minimum Wage Act came into effect on the 1st of January uh, 2019, and uh, the commission is obliged at the end of this year to make recommendations on the adjustment of that level from 20 rand an hour and uh, any other, I guess, uh, necessary uh, issues in the design of this particular policy uh, to achieve its objectives. And I'm joined from EZWI Domestic Workers Alliance and uh, one of the coordinators of the campaign uh, joins me now in studio. And her name is Amy uh, Tecky. Amy, good evening to you and welcome to Metro FM Talk.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Uh, Amy, let's maybe start off here. Uh, just uh, some brief context here on the One Wage campaign. Uh, um, uh, which organizations form part of it and uh, uh, why did you organize yourselves in the fashion that you did and uh, what issues are you trying to resolve?
0: Uh, so there's about 15 to 20 members at the moment, uh, unions, civil society organizations, as you mentioned, a variety um, of organizations and the idea is that when the when the national minimum wage came out mm. domestic workers and farm workers and the EPWP workers were given a lower wage than everyone else so they're effectively excluded from the national minimum wage mm. and domestic workers and farm workers are already facing a lot of um, challenges in, the, in their labor conditions, in their working hours, in their long history of discrimination that are really similar. So that's when we said we felt that it was clear discrimination to keep them out of the full minimum wage. And that's when we said let's come together with the other groups that were excluded and fight mm. back against it.
1: Okay. Uh, and talk to us, I mean, about uh, how this has been received. Uh, I mean, one would think that uh, you've had some engagements not only with the Department of Employment and Labor, but even the National Minimum Wage Commission itself.
0: We have tried hard to engage with the National Minimum Wage Commission oh. through formal channels, through email, to kind of get get introductions yeah. and open a conversation, and we've had very minimal responses. So um, initially we had kind of just, just a message, recognize it, and they would get back to us, and that was months ago, and now... It, the whole process seems much less transparent than was expected. So we haven't been able to find out where the meetings are, what mm. times. The, the the public participation process has been um, absolutely silent. Mm. Um, so
1: you mean the public participation process for the amendments to the national right. minimum wage? Okay, right. all right. Um, and uh, um, I mean, I want us to maybe engage some of the, some of these issues mm. because. Uh, certainly, this is a process I was quite close to, um, uh, the negotiations, I should say, like yeah. around this. Um, and I recall at the time, I mean, one of the big issues that were being raised was that in the case of the expanded public works program, and this is the representations that the Department of Labor made at the time, it uh, was organized as that, was suggesting that, you know, EPWP since its formation in 2004 or five, uh, was in essence close to maybe an employment guarantee scheme, what you would find in India, for instance, uh, and more a social protection measure rather than work, and that's why people refer to it as work opportunities rather than maybe formal work. Uh, I guess in the form, in the most formal sense of that. Well, what, what would the campaign say in response to that?
0: The campaign would agree with that, but the problem is that's not what it's become. So you have um. you have you know, hundreds of thousands of workers who've been on three-month contracts for eight years and 10 years, and they're working alongside firefighters and community health workers and infrastructure workers and doing the exact same labor as their colleagues Mm. and getting paid half the rate. And essentially what's happened is it's created a two-tier labor system in the government and a source of cheap labor that's unprotected has Mm. almost no benefits um, for municipalities.
1: Mm. Just Just with the occupations you've mentioned, so are you suggesting, Amy, that... In practice, many municipalities are doing away with lower grades of, I guess, low-skilled uh, and low-wage work, if I can use that term, within the public service and actually uh, replacing that with uh, public employment schemes like the CWP and the EPWP.
0: They are, and and, and what's happened is it's allowed them to to continue at very low wages without having to hire formal permanent workers. Mm. And so the government itself is actually setting a miserable example for the private sector and the rest of the country on labor rights. Mm. Mm.
1: I remember, I mean, we had one of your members here. Uh, I think it's the the, uh, Lungalem Charlie sanitation Mm -hmm. workers. Yes, yes, we were joined by Barrington and his team. We Mm, had the guys from uh, the Department of Public Works. And one of the issues that Stanley Henderson at the time was raising was was that you know the big concern for them is you know this is a this is a you know a public employment program and with a st- fixed start date and an end date but clearly the experience of many of the workers that are part of your campaign indicates that uh, some of these contracts are, are sometimes very open ended
0: They are and there there if you if you go on our website we we gathered uh, stories and narratives from workers across the country and they've found over and over that um literally as i said seven eight years they're being re- their three or four month contracts are being renewed some of them 10 or 12 years
1: mm, mm. and and what does that point to i mean i in the context of this conversation because uh, rightfully so as you, as you initially suggested is that yes the form the envisaged form of the epwp might not necessarily chime up with what uh, is existing in practice
0: no it didn't and and the the argument now is well it's 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 quite different from, from the domestic and and agricultural sectors in that it's the government and the mm. and the state fiscus which has to pay those increases. Sure. Um, and especially now when, when we're looking at measures of austerity, et cetera. But if you if you look at the increase that would be required to pay a full minimum wage for EPWP workers, it is one tenth of the tax breaks that are given to high earners on medical aid and pension funds. Mm. And so it's just another replication of this massive inequality that is echoed in every structure in the society. Please say that again. So if you look at the the tax breaks that are given to uh, high earners on their medical aid and Mm. pension funds are equal 10 times what it would cost to pay EPWP workers the full minimum wage.
1: Wow. Amy, I want us to pause there for a second and uh, we'll come back to this particular theme and I want us, when we come back, to just tie up uh, the issues around the EPWP because I want us to also engage some of the budgetary issues. I mean, a lot of the work opportunities or work in the EPWP is intimately linked to the budgetary space provided in many municipal administrations and even at provincial and uh, national level. And uh, we'll come back to that theme and I also want us, when we come back, uh, to engage some of the issues in the agricultural and uh, the domestic workspace. I'd love to hear from you. Give us a ring here on zero eight nine double one zero. 03377. What do you make of uh, uh, different levels here in the national minimum wage? 90% uh, uh, of uh, farm workers and 95% of domestic workers earning above the poverty line. Does it make sense uh, to uh, then uh, not have them at the full minimum wage? And more importantly, what would you f- uh, embed or uh, add? in the amendment process to the national minimum wage. Let us know what you think. would love to hear from you. You can also send three of those tweets on at Metro FMSA. Use the hashtag Metro FM Talk. It is indeed, and 12 minutes now, it is after 8 p.m. And uh, earlier on, uh, I, I made a blunder there, and thank you, Amy, for correcting me there. Over 95% of domestic workers and 90% of farm workers are earning below the poverty line. Pansuwayo, Zansuwayo rather than above. I just wanted to fix that there. And uh, many of these workers, as uh, uh, many of you would know and be familiar with, rely on uh, Marshallian to cover their basic living standards and costs uh, um, due to uh, really declining levels of uh, real, norm- uh, real wages and even uh, the social wage in many instances that is provided uh, within the state. And Amy, I want us maybe uh, to take a look here at where the money for some of these stipends within the EPWP comes from. Uh, or even the wages, so if you know the work is open-ended, as we're beginning to see. Um, and the reason why I, I, I raise this is, as you rightfully say, we are in a context of declining budgetary allocations and uh, even austerity, which is what I would refer to it, but many people in the National Treasury would maybe hold a different view to that. But uh, in that context, where we know every single job in many ways is matched to an expenditure line item on a budget, uh, the NDP in 2012 targeted about $2 million jobs ought to be created in the EPWP by 2030 without really saying much on uh, where the budgetary allocations for that are going to come from. What is the view of the uh, campaign when it comes to I guess uh, uh, workers having to shoulder much of that fiscal adjustment which has a massive impact on the numbers of people that can come into the program and also the conditions of work and their pay?
0: Well I guess in (laughs) short I would just say that that obviously, there's there's huge challenges that the Treasury and the budget departments have to deal with in trying to um, handle lower lower amounts granted towards environment and towards infrastructure. But it should not be up to the workers and some of the poorest workers in the country to shoulder that burden. That needs to be up to the state to determine maybe we need to adjust our tax structures, maybe we need to look at where money is where money is being spent inefficiently, and maybe we need to then redirect it towards some of these critical causes. But we can't ask, low-wage, low-skilled laborers to subsidize the the state by working at, at half-labor prices. Mm,
1: mm. And, uh, you know, when we take a look, and, and let's maybe shift our attention to from, from public employment schemes, and we'll come back to, to, to some of them and uh, your recommendations in this regard. But I want you to touch on uh, some of the issues that you're calling for when it comes to domestic work and uh, many of those workers in the agricultural sector.
0: So there's... I I think under under both domestic and farm workers there are a lot of areas right now where there's change being called for. Um and, and something that's been on the news a lot lately is is domestic workers are finally starting to be recognized under the uh workers' compensation, under COIDA. Uh there's a recent court case that has argued that they it, is, it was unconstitutional to exclude them initially. And so you're starting, it, it's been a very slow process to see the professionaliz- professionalization of the domestic work industry. And it's an industry like farm work that came out of a history of colonialism, of slave, of slave labor, mm-hmm. um, and of oppression of people of color, and especially women, particularly in the domestic sector, but also in the farm sector. And what's happened is the, the purpose of the National Minimum Wage Act one of the purposes is expressly to reduce inequality, mm. um, which is somewhat unique to South Africa. And yet what they've done is they've taken the most vulnerable workers who are primarily black, primarily women, and they've actually re-entrenched that quality. and And they've entrenched that division and that discrimination and and we asked a lot of workers what do you think how do you feel about about being excluded from the national minimum wage and of course it's about wages and it's about wanting to earn but even those who are already earning more than the minimum wage for them it's saying are you saying that my work is not of value Mm. are you saying that I'm unequal to the rest of society and, and that's exactly it. So it's a matter of economics and, and of minimum wage, but it's also a matter of dignity. Yeah. And for that reason, we really don't, we believe it's completely unconstitutional. Oh.
1: How, how do you engage this argument around um, unemployment or disemployment effects? I mean, I recall um, during the negotiations that a big issue was raised around uh, the cruel irony that the same vulnerable sectors were also the sectors that were a bit more vulnerable to uh, the disemployment effects of pegging the national minimum wage at a certain level.
0: So uh, with agriculture, it's kind of the one sector where they have found some, some harder evidence that that uh, increasing the, the minimum wage can, re- can reduce employment. Mm. But overall, they still find that the overall impact on poverty and inequality in the country is improved regardless of whatever minimum job loss was in place. And in terms of the domestic sector, there was a study done um, from 2013 on how as as the sectoral determination was put in place to protect the domestic workers, and the wages were slowly increased, and they found almost no reduction in employment mm. occasionally there's a reduction in uh, hours of work um but if the minimum wage is going up, that means they're making the same amount of money for less hours, yeah. which enables them to have other, other opportunities to earn income or
1: spend their time mm. So, So you're willing at least, uh, I guess, on the on the working hours issue to, to be able to have some flexibility. Because we've seen that as an adjustment mm. mechanism in many labor markets. I mean, yeah. in Germany as well, uh, one of the social pacts arrived at between labor and employers in response to the tough economic environment across the world yeah. is shorter working hours.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, in the domestic work sector especially, the working hours are appalling. Yeah, I, it, no. it does vary. Obviously, you have some who are working eight hour days, but you have many who are living domestic workers. They're working regularly five, six days a week. They're working 12 hour days. Sometimes they're working seven days a week. And I mean, we were with some domestic workers recently who are making 800 rand a month. One was even making 600 rand a month after working for 14 years. And uh-huh. so, it, to reduce working hours, and 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 at least make minimum wage would be a dramatic improvement mm. for a lot of domestic workers mm. and a lot of them do have ideas of of other businesses or other economic ventures they just sure. don't have time to put their time into and and also to their children to allow their children to have opportunities for mm. education and, and growth as well
1: you've also called for you know i guess um a blanket ban on exemptions. You, you feel that that is something that shouldn't happen. Now, some interesting data here coming out of uh, the CCMA around some of these exemptions. Between January of this year and September, there's been about 443 applications for exemptions. And about 30% of these have been refused. And uh, a few, I guess, withdrawn, I think two of those. And about 284 out of 443 have been granted. Uh, what do you make of, of of that data? And do you feel that that in many ways, I guess, uh, gives uh, many corporations, um, you know, a free pass?
0: That's exactly it. And, and right now we're seeing, slowly seeing the CCMA Maybe even not slowly we're seeing the CCMA is becoming less and less friendly towards workers and um, so it becomes more and more of a a way uh, yet another loophole for employers to get in and to override worker mm, rights and mm. I imagine there may be cases I'm, I'm sure there are some cases where employers do struggle, but I think it's again there's a reason there's a minimum wage sure. right we're not in an economy where we're just going to going to drop the wages to the mm. bottom for the lowest labor so if that, w- if that wage isn't meaningful, then then we need to rethink it.
1: Okay. Amy, I want us to pause there for a second. I'm going to take a quick spot break. And uh, when we come back, we'll continue uh, to take a look at some of the uh, demands that you are making here. And I certainly hope that some of the members of the National Minimum Wage Commission are listening to this particular conversation and uh, uh, can be able to give you at least uh, some audience around some of the issues that you're raising. You tuned into Metro FM Talk. It's our Shop Stewards Corner on this Monday. And uh, we end conversation uh, with the uh, one wage campaign and uh, amy techie from the campaign joins me in studio i'd love to hear your perspectives on this particular issue and uh, uh, the issue of domestic workers and uh, workers in the agricultural sector and those in public employment schemes and uh, their exclusion or oh, i should say uh, i guess a phased-in approach depending on how you look at it uh, in the uh, national minimum wage let us know what you think give us a ring 89 23 minutes it is after 8pm. You tuned in to the uh, Shop Stewards Corner here on uh, Metro FM Talk. And uh, we're speaking to the One Wage Campaign launched in August of this year. A coalition of workers' rights organizations, unions and other civil society uh, actors who've united against uh, the exclusion of workers from the national minimum wage. And uh, from the One Wage Campaign, I'm joined by Amy Techie, And uh, Amy's with the uh, Domestic Workers Alliance and uh, also a coordinator of this campaign. Now, uh, Amy... You've got, you guys have a petition here that uh, yes, you'd like do, people to sign. Not. Tell us a bit more about that.
0: So we've just launched a petition on a Manla Mobi, um, and there's a link to it either on our website, which is onewage.org, or on our Facebook page, which is One Wage Campaign. And it's quite important, although the, the law d- did allow for the potential phasing in of these workers, it didn't require it, which mm. is what the NEDLAC agreements had initially suggested. So it was very loose language pretty weak and so we really need the support of the public and the media and civil society and workers to be shouting so that so that this change does happen and this recommendation actually becomes fact so we do encourage you if you can go to our facebook page one wage campaign or onewage.org and please just take a minute and sign the petition on behalf of the workers who mm. are growing your food and cleaning your homes and taking care of your children.
1: What are some of the other issues from an uh, adjustment and amendment perspective to the existing architecture of the national minimum wage would you like to add? Aside from the inclusion of EPWP, agriculture and domestic workers, what Mm -hmm. other amendments would you like to make here?
0: Well, our other focus is ultimately an increase in the in the minimum wage to become a living wage. And then the Peter Marzburg um, Justice and Dignity Group releases every month a household affordability index. And in the November release, which just came out last week, they found that in order for a worker to cover three basic costs, which are transport, a nutritional food basket and um electricity they would need to be making 24 rand an hour mm. and so that's showing that even for those making a full 20 rand an hour you can't even cover three bakes it costs it says nothing of rent it says nothing of health care household supplies school fees anything and so it, it, it's it's always going to be a, an economic dance between mm. the minimum wage and gdp and increasing business growth but we already have so many issues in South Africa of unemployed people not not being able to survive. And now when you have the working poor who still aren't able to f- survive on their wages, it's not a recipe for, for, for economic development or social development.
1: Mm-hmm. I want to, just Amy, I mean, with the last few minutes that we have at our disposal to maybe come back, uh, I guess, to this issue of public employment uh, and this uh, idea that, You know, uh, yes, in design, uh, many of us would have seen the EPWP as a social protection mechanism. But in terms of how it's been implemented, it has created this expectation. I mean, without a doubt, uh, I recall the conversation I had with Barrington and with Temba Khateba from Kuruleni and even Stanley Henderson from uh, the Department of Public Works, that it has created this expectation uh, because people have you know, uh, I guess, been working on the project for such a long period of time It's taken away this idea of a project having a defined start and end date. Um, uh, From a design perspective, what are some of the suggestions you would make when it comes to that EPWP in the context of a lot of insourcing happening within the public service?
0: I have to admit that's probably, I'm, I don't think I'm the right person to make those recommendations. Mm. Uh, we've really focused on, their, on the wage aspect, but I think you'd need to talk to Barrington, to Stanley, to Bonga, to some of these worker groups who are really immersed in it and, and find out where they see the best structural changes.
1: Mm. Mm. Okay, all right. And uh, just, uh, you know, in terms of other people who might want to reach out to you or even join uh, mm. this particular campaign from an organizational perspective, how do they do that?
0: So as I said, our website is onewage.org. You can email at us email us at info dot, info at one dot org. Uh, if there's organizations that are interested in joining, we would welcome you or individuals, um, and also on Facebook, please um, please come find us. Okay,
1: all right. And uh, Amy, I mean, briefly, you know, uh, in the last two minutes that we have now. Um, Talk to us briefly about the work that you guys do with ISWI. Uh, you're a member of ISWI, of course, mm. also with the campaign, but uh, never heard of it before. But uh, what kind of work do you do there with the Domestic Workers Alliance?
0: We're a network of domestic workers across Gauteng, and we provide labor rights support, case support. So we act essentially as an advice office um, in in educating domestic workers mm. about what are their rights, okay. advising them, and supporting them when they, they need to report cases. Mm. Um and yeah we've got neighborhood groups around the city, and um it's it it grew very organically as just a session in in a living room with a bunch of domestic workers in the neighborhood to learn mm. about what their rights were and there's such a, a massive demand less than five percent of domestic workers are union less than half a percent sorry less than point five percent of domestic workers are unionized um there's a lot of fear of unions because sure. because of employ- employment threat and so Um, it's it's really been an amazing experience talking to domestic workers find Mm. out what they're experiencing and then we find Despite challenges, there is a strong law in place. Sure. And if we can even bring workers up to that law, then it'll really improve their lives.
1: How do we get enforcement right? I mean, I, you know, one of the big mm. debates in that sector and even Absolutely. in uh, the agricultural sector is that the workplace is also a space that is very difficult for labor inspectors to access. I mean, especially if your workplace is somebody's private home, yep. it then interfaces with laws around privacy. How do we ensure that, you know, the enforcement mechanism isn't solely reliant on uh, the inspectorate within the Department of Employment and Labor?
0: That's a very complicated question, and we don't have a simple answer. I think um, one one aspect is educating workers sure. which allows them to report mis mis um, treatment, but it's also complicated because they're in a very vulnerable position to mm. be challenging their employers um, on what the law is, and there's communication issues and power dynamics and and just vulnerability to job loss so we're we're also next year really pushing in on employer. Employer education, because sure, sure. there's a lot of employers who who don't want to be a fall of the law, who want to be decent mm. people, who but just actually don't know that there's any regulation around domestic workers. You think you just someone comes in your home, you pay them what you want. Sure. You don't realize having a contract and a pay slip are incredibly important. Um, and then we're also working with the Department of Labor on how they incorporate now that they're gonna to have to include um domestic workers under COIDA, are there ways to start a process by which we can um create some institutes mm. that'll that'll more effectively um, supervise the sector
1: Okay, Amy we'll have to leave it there really really appreciate your time and and unfortunately we have run out of time but uh, uh, certainly uh, do uh, take a look at the One Wage Campaign there and uh, some of your work uh, check out your website and uh, also I have a petition uh, up there that uh, you can sign as well and a big thank you to you Amy here uh, from ISWI Domestic Alliance and uh, also coordinator of the One Wage Campaign for joining us this evening
0: Pleasure, thanks so much for having us <laughs>
1: This is the sh-"